Today, let's do some work in James chapter 1. First, we will read the chapter, and then I'll discuss the importance of application. I promise by the end of this sermon, we will all have in hand, in mind, relevant, practical applications for our good use to glorify God and to prepare us for heaven. James chapter 1. I'm going to read the chapter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, 
and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is my purpose every time I speak, every time I teach a Bible class, for there to be good application. And by that I mean we learn Scripture in order to live by Scripture. We take what we learn and we live by it in our lives every day. The personal use of Scripture in your life. That's the aim. That's the goal. And it's called application. Briefly, let me explain further that in reading and studying any passage in the Bible, we interrogate the text with questions like this. What does it say? We read and reread and think and attempt to discover clearly what the passage says. What did it mean to them? I mean, the original audience, our readers, back when the writing was given. What was their circumstance, their history? What was the occasion, the event, the situation, the people, the interactions? What does it mean to us today? Is there principle, example, command, implication that clearly is intended for us today? And then it all needs to become personal. What do I need to do? Is there something I haven't been doing? Is there some sin I need to immediately give up in repentance and seek God's forgiveness? Is there a more diligent intention to grow that I need to concentrate on? Is there an attitude I need to adjust? An attitude I need to develop? An attitude I need to reject? See, all Bible reading and study must drive us to application, and the application must become personal. So, we have read James chapter 1. Focus with me on a section here, verses 2 through 16 of James chapter 1. James wrote to Christians scattered to various places, struggling to be zealous disciples, what did James say to them? What can we apply today? Here's how application might be made. There is truth to acknowledge. God can use trials in my life to produce patience. And that's right there on the page in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Truth 
to acknowledge God can use trials in my life to produce patience in me. We all go through difficulties that create frustration, pain, disappointment, strain against our emotions, sometimes to the limit. How can there be any joy in those trials? God speaks to us through James, and we are given this truth that God can use trials to strengthen us, to produce patience. If we will apply that, if we will acknowledge this truth from God in James 1, verses 2 through 4, there can be joy. God, through difficulty, can forge and develop better character within us. God can develop stability in us, steadfastness. He can grow our reverence for him, and our obedience can shine through in days of darkness, and we can become victorious and complete, though at times it seems very hard. I've often remarked that getting through one big problem with your faith intact can get you ready for the next big problem with greater faith. What are we doing with this teaching? Are we applying? Are we acknowledging this truth in James 1, verses 2 through 4? Let's do that again. There is a prayer to pray. Ask God for wisdom. James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I don't know anyone who has all the answers, not here on earth. Who can give perfect solutions to every problem? Who can be presented with any sort of twisted, difficult circumstance and know exactly what to do immediately? I don't know anyone endowed with wisdom for every puzzle in life, nor anyone with such high level of acquired wisdom, they are never stumped. I, I do know something every Christian can do in any situation, and I can express that with two words, ask God. God has something we need, and he says we can ask for help that we cannot get anywhere else. Listen to it again, please. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You see what we're doing? We're applying Bible teaching. Number three, there is in our text an error to avoid. It says, no doubting, verses 6 through 8, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
So the asking <clears throat> is conditioned on faith, faith that is not to be hindered by doubt. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. So the passage is identifying an error to avoid. Notice doubting in this context is described as double-minded vacillating. Thoughts that constitute doubting would sound like, well, maybe God cares, maybe he doesn't care, maybe God has the answer, maybe uh, there's a better answer somewhere. That's vacillating, double-minded vacillating, weak faith that will not get the job done. There is an error to avoid in asking God for wisdom. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. There is an attitude to adopt. There is an attitude to adopt. I'm reading now verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Generally, we might think that all boasting is ruled out in the Bible. Never boast about anything. We may think that is all there is to say. Here, there is an imperative. Let the lowly brother boast. But in what? his exaltation, that by living in Christ, he is exalted, taken out of sin, placed in God's family and on his way to heaven. Let the poor, lowly brother rejoice and boast in his exaltation. That's an attitude to adopt. What about the rich? While they may be tempted to boast in their wealth and their standing, James says they have an attitude to adopt. Let them boast in their humiliation, their brevity, that like a flower of the grass, they will pass away. In other words, your attitude should not be founded on your circumstance, but the reality that God has revealed to you that you can embrace and receive. What we're doing is we are applying Bible truth. Then in verses 12 through 16, there is a temptation to resist, and that temptation is blaming God. Verses 12 through 16. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Blaming can become your downfall. 
blaming others for your irresponsibility, blaming others for your sin, blaming can take us down a very destructive pathway. Here is the most serious form of blaming, to be tempted to sin and then in that temptation to blame God. God has never enticed anyone to sin. It is against the pure nature of God to legislate against sin and then try to entrap someone to sin. James says, don't go there. Don't think that way. Resist that thought. Now, do you see what we've been doing the last few minutes? You see what we're doing, right? We are applying scripture to life with very specific teachings from James chapter 1. We're doing more than just reading. We're doing more than just defining words. We're doing more than just attempting to discover the situation of the original audience. We're doing more than just review. We are letting God's word admonish and correct us in very specific ways to bring us closer to God, to become more effective, involved disciples, to build up the church we're a part of, to bring rich blessings into our families. All those high purposes achieved by opening this book, reading, thinking, and objectively looking into the mirror of God's word to see what we look like for self-examination and self-correction. There is a truth to acknowledge God can use trials in my life to make me stronger and produce better character and patience. There is a prayer to pray, ask God for wisdom. There is an error to avoid, no doubting. There is an attitude to adopt, well-directed boasting described in verses 9 through 11, and there is a temptation to resist. Don't blame God. What are we doing? We are applying God's word in James chapter 1. Thank you for joining with us in this process. Let's continue it day after day.